prepare your ears, humans. Happy, sad, confused begins now. Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, Catherine McNamara. From Shadowhunters and Arrow to The Stand to her comfort movie, Singing in the Rain. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Pleased to say we have another newcomer on the show today. I feel like it's been five or six at least uh, newbies to Happy, Sad, Confused in a row, and I love that. I mean, I love the returning guests too, but I love it when we can welcome a new actor or actress or filmmaker to the show. And this is a young woman who I've kind of gotten to know in a very uh, 2021 sort of way via social media in the last year. Kat McNamara. Uh, is delightful and, and, and so talented and so um, just energetic and, and excited to be part of this industry. And I and I and that, that enthusiasm is infectious, and I loved chatting with her. You know her, of course, from her um, very kind of genre-skewing roles thus far in her career um, in, in projects like Arrow, in Shadowhunters, of course, and The Maze Runner. Um, and now she's also part of like a new, huge, ginormous um, franchise, as it were. I mean, Stephen King is a franchise, a, a one-man franchise, and it doesn't get any bigger than The Stand. The Stand has concluded on CBS All Access, so you can watch all the episodes. And I know this was a big one for, for Catherine to be a part of, so support her and support that monumental work from Stephen King and filmmaker uh, uh, Josh Boone. Um, so thrilled that that came to fruition. Um, so as I said, like Kat, uh, and I, I don't think we've ever met in person or if we have, it's been very brief, but I feel like I've gotten to know her via the Twitter and the Instagram and the fact that we have some common folks that, you know, we call friends. Um, we like to make fun of Sam Hewen, both of us. We like to drink his whiskey, um, but many other folks too in kind of like the MTV world. She was on an MTV show. Um, she did like a pilot way back when with Beanie Feldstein. Like all the all her all her people are kind of in a way my people too. So it was fun to kind of bond with her over that stuff and bond with her over this business that she just she lives and breathes. And you'll you'll hear it in her voice and her stories that you know she she really came up in it in a way when she was uh, she got this amazing you know opportunity of a lifetime and came to Broadway and worked with legends like Elaine Stritch and Angela Lansbury and Catherine Zeta-Jones. Um, so this is this is in her blood. She was born to do this, and she's making the most of it. She has so much energy and excitement and enthusiasm for, for TV, for film, for theater. Um, I, so I know she's going to be around for a while. She's just getting started, so I'm thrilled that we finally kind of connected in a real way on the podcast and had a, had a delightful chat. Um, she also just loves movies and TV, and of course she picked a classic movie, a classic movie musical, maybe the best of all time, arguably, Singing in the Rain. So that's her comfort movie. We talk a bit about that too. And uh, yeah, all in all, this is just a, a delightful chat with Kat McNamara. And like I said, I'm thrilled that she finally um, is part of the Happy, Sad, Confused family. Other things to mention. Um, let's see. Oh, Stir Crazy. Of course, my Comedy Central shenanigans continue. Um, some really fun ones in recent weeks. Of course, we had Jamie Dornan. If you guys have not seen Barb and Star, go to Vista Del Mar. I mean, if you follow me on social media, and you probably do if you listen to this, you know I've been I've been talking a lot about this film because I, I remember I was watching the screener of this before there was any buzz, okay? I Literally, no one was allowed to tweet about it or anything, and I knew I was having Jamie Dornan on the show, and my producer for Stir Crazy also had the screener, and five minutes into the film, I was like, 
wait, I, I'm so predisposed now to be disappointed by films or think it's like, eh, or get distracted. And I was like, wait, is this, is this a great comedy? <laughs> like, when's the last time I watched something and said, this is a great comedy? So I texted uh, my producer, Alan. Hi, Alan, if you're listening. And I'm like, I think Barb and Star is great. Are you watching this? Um, he confirmed my instincts. He agreed. And I'm so thrilled that now, like, the whole world is starting to catch up uh, with Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. And a big part of that, of course, we knew Kristen Wiig and Annie Mumolo were going to be great. But Jamie Dornan, the comic find of the year. And um, he confirmed that on a recent episode of Stir Crazy. So all of which is to say, if you haven't watched him on Stir Crazy, the Comedy Central show, he was awesome on that too. And I'm so proud of that episode. Uh, we also had Noah Centineo recently, proving he's more than just a dreamboat, guys. He's also got comic chops. Um, and by the time you listen to this, we'll also have a new episode up with a guy that I've known for a while and I'm thrilled to catch up with again, uh, Christopher Mintz Plus. You, of course, know him from uh, Superbad as McLovin and Role Models and the How to Train Your Dragon uh, movies. He's also a part of and kind of a co-creator, a collaborator with a, with buddies of his on this Comedy Central YouTube show called Bark and Son, which is really out there and weird and funny. Uh, and, and you know, if you dig my kind of stuff, you'll probably dig Bark and Son. So check out his show and also check out his appearance on Stir Crazy. Um, it's always fun to kind of reconnect with these folks that, you know, I kind of got to know him like 10, 12 years ago in my early days at MTV and his early days acting and to see sort of where they, where their careers evolve and the roller coaster they're on and to, like I said, to reconnect. So that, that was, that was a blast. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy that one. Um, let's see other things to mention. Oh, there's some things I'm going to tape soon that I don't want to jinx yet, but there's a couple of MTV interviews I'm going to be doing soon that I think you guys are going to really enjoy. I just confirmed a new Another new podcast guest, kind of a legend, guys. An actor, you're not going to guess who it is, but like kind of a char- character actor I grew up with that, um, I don't know, just just keep your eyes and ears out in the, in the next month or so, this this person should pop up on the show. But like every once in a while when, you, when I confirm a guest, it's like, you know, there's some you're like, okay, that'll be fun, that'll be cool. Oh, it'll be fun to catch up with that person. And then there's like, oh my God, I this is going to be insane. To catch up with it. So yeah, watch watch me jinx this person I'm not naming. That's why I'm not saying their name though, guys. So I don't jinx it. I've learned my lesson. I've been doing this a while. Um, okay, I, I, enough chit-chat. Let's get to, to the important chit-chat. Cat uh, McNamara, the delightful and talented Cat McNamara, starring currently uh, on The Stand, on CBS All Access. That series it has concluded. It's all there for you. I guess in a few weeks it's going to be, by the way, Paramount Plus. So catch it all you can on CBS All Access before it becomes Paramount Plus, because then it's going to be a totally different thing. Not really. Anyway, um, I'm losing it. It's because my dog, she's driving me insane in the best possible way. I'm staring at her right now. Hi, Lucy. Say hi. See, this is the one time Lucy has no energy. She's just like catatonic. You'd think I'm drugging her. Trust me, I'm not. Um... Enjoy this conversation with Kat McNamara. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to Happy, Sad, Confused. And uh, here we are. Here's me and Kat. Wait, so is this our first, like, official, like, face-to-face-ish meeting? I can't even... Have our paths, like, crossed in real life? I feel as though they must have, because... Between all the Comic-Cons and things that I've done, and I also used to work for MTV on a show ages ago... So I feel as though we must have, but maybe it's just that I've been a fan of the podcast for so oh, long. I don't know. 
that's sweet. I do feel like, yes, this is like, we're like the, uh, the positive side of social media. We've become social media buddies. This is the good, you know, there's not all, to- it's not all toxicity. Sometimes you can make a friend. You know, I feel exactly that. And that's something that I've learned in a larger scale over the years, but uh, I love to be a part of it. <laughs> I also feel like, yeah, as I kind of started to get to know you in, in like the last year, as we've kind of like corresponded a bit, I feel like then I'm realizing like we share a lot of the same people. Um, and we've traveled in, in a lot of the same circles in different capacities. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like we've bonded over our mutual love giving shit to Sam Hewen. Oh, for sure. Uh, <laughs> he, he says he misses you, by the way. I told him I was talking to you today. Well, it's, that's not exactly what he said. But <laughs> that's what to say. I think he misses <laughs> doesn't sound like Sam. That doesn't, that doesn't sound like him at all. Um, yeah. How did you cross paths with Sam in, in the first place? It's so funny. I was thinking about this and I, I've known Sam for so long. I don't even exactly remember how we met, but I think it's just because we, you know, I was doing shadow hunters or arrow at the time. I forget which, and we both are on shows that were very demanding physically and emotionally and were crazy schedules and shooting and traveling all over. And, uh, you know, we both happen to love whiskey. This just is all you need in, in, a, in a friendship just, nowadays. Slightly. Um, <laughs> No, but but Sam is a wonderful, wonderful, impeccable actor, amazing person. And as you know, he's always there for advice or uh, a good bit of shit giving. Exactly, exactly. Um, I'm curious because it does feel like just watching you, your work and, and you socially on social media, like it feels like you are like the, this is my sister's the same kind of person, like a connector. You're like, you're the, you, you know a lot of people, you like to kind of, you're, you're happy to be at the center. I'm kind of like a, this, this part of my job is like so antithetical to who I am otherwise. Like I'm like kind of like a social pariah outcast, but like this job makes me be personable, hopefully. But I feel like, I mean, is it fair to say, are you a connector? Are you somebody that enjoys kind of like different friend groups and bringing friend groups together? I'm very social. I was, I was raised in a family of the more the merrier. And I'm also an only child. So I think that's kind of something that stemmed off of that. Um, but just, I love being around people. I love being social. I love spending time with the people that I care about and just laughing and having a good time. Um, and this year has taught me how much that and my work actually make up who I am as a person um, right. and kind of feed my soul in a way that I've had to find creative ways to fill that. But I, yeah, I would say that's, that's accurate. I, you know, I, I love hard and I love the people that I love and to sort of support and celebrate and make people happy, I guess. Did you have a, like, a friend group when you started to get serious of the business, at least in, in LA, kind of when you went there, that like you kind of came of age with, that you still feel kind of like you were on the same auditions with, that you learned from, that you kind of went through the wars with? There's a fair few people. And it's funny because I started off, I started off in New York doing Broadway. And so there's a few kids that I know from there that now have some have gone back, some are doing TV. So, you know, we're all doing different things now. But then there's others that I met doing Disney Channel that, you know, we've all kind of branched out doing other things. Uh, A friend of mine that I actually did the MTV show with posted some throwback pictures the other day of all of us when we were all in that generation. And we've spread out even more. So it's just, it's, it's really interesting. The more I am in this industry, the smaller it gets in a lot of ways. And I love that though. It feels, you know, we're the island of misfit toys that travel the world and tell stories. And I I love running into the same people. Do you feel like anybody at at some point, whether it's back in the New York days or, or when you got to LA, took you under their wing? Like, did you, did, did you feel like you had a, a mentor, a person that you kind of looked up to, whether they knew it or not? 
I had I had a few. There was um well one the first one that comes to mind is actually Elaine Stritch. And that's I, a pretty good one to have. That's a I mean that woman saved me. I love her to death and always will. She she played my grandmother for the second half of A Little Night Music and actually Angela as well, who played that role for the first half. I spent most for of the my- uninitiated, she's referring to Angela Lansbury. She can call her Angela. I get it. <laughs> You're on the in the in crowd with Angela Lansbury. You're cool. I spent the majority of my time with them because most of my character scenes were with that character. And both of them were so gracious and just allowed me to sit in their dressing room and spend time with them and listen to their stories. And Elaine drug me to the set of 30 Rock and told me to learn things. And, you know, so many wonderful experiences you can glean from someone who's yeah. been in this industry for so long. So here's my question though. Okay, so I, uh, I know we're jumping around. If you've listened to the podcast, you know, I tend to do that. But like when you, you're about 14, when you, make the big Broadway debut, Sondheim, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Elaine Stritch, Angela Lansbury, I know they could swap roles, but like, did you know like for instance, who Elaine Stritch was? Most 14 year olds if I talked to would not know who Elaine Stritch is. I did know who Elaine Stritch was. And, and that came from, you know, I grew up watching old Hollywood movies and I, I grew up watching that era of film and loving theater. And then when I started acting, I, it was actually in theater in Kansas City. And there's this wonderful, lovely, really artistic community there that that really fosters work ethic, but also teamwork and, and just being an artist for the sake of the art. And that I always say I was raised artistically in the Kansas City theater community, and I will yeah. forever be grateful for that. So when you get to New York, which is a crazy story, everybody's got the crazy story, but you've got one of the crazier stories. Like that's a hell of a debut, a hell of a kind of like a coming out party. Um, what do you remember about those early days? Like, were you just like gazing up in the city? Just like, had you ever been to New York before? What was it like those first days? My only time to New York before I lived there was for my audition. So I, I didn't plan on leaving Kansas City. You know, I wanted to be a developmental economist growing up. Well, as, as most kids do, sure. For sure. You know, Alan Greenspan <laughs> was my, the poster I had on my wall. <laughs> I would love it if, I, if you actually literally had an Alan Greenspan poster. Like, yeah, there's like, Beverly Hills 90210, Alan Greenspan, just all the, all oh, the idols. Sure. I wish, actually. I probably would have put one up had I been able to put one. <laughs> had someone um, made one. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I, I remember I never thought I'd leave Kansas City. You know, I thought I'd work at the bank during the day. The banks close at five. I can make it to the theater by curtain. It's perfect. My life, yeah. <laughs> I had it all planned out. But as you know, life throws a monkey wrench into every plan that you try and make. And so I ended up working with this woman who was in a little night music and they needed an immediate replacement. Um, and she happened to recommend me because we just worked together in Kansas City. And so I get this phone call saying, hey, we have an audition for you in two days for a little night music. Do you want to come? And I said, well, sure. I mean, I've never been to New York before. I'm never going to book this in a million years. I Sure, I'll go to New York. I'll audition for a Broadway show and I'll have that experience for the rest of my life. Little did I know I'd be living there a week later. So it it blew my world. And being 14 from Kansas City, walking around the streets of New York for the first time, it was, I thought it was going to be terrifying. I Because I had never really lived in a big city. Chicago was the biggest city I'd ever seen. And uh, New York became this magical world of culture and influence and art and just life that I had never seen before. And I knew within a couple of weeks that I never wanted to leave. Was your family worried? I mean, that's a big jump for any kid. I don't think they were worried. I think if anything, 
they understood. At least I know my mother did because she moved there with me. And I think she sort of saw, she and I have always been very close. And I think she sort of saw and understood how much I belonged there yeah. and, and how much that city was helping me grow as a person and as an artist and everything else. And she loves it too. New York is one of her favorite cities now as well. So nice. it worked out for the best. And I mean, do you remember just like, again, I'm just trying to wrap my brain around like the energy and excitement it must have been to like step out onto a Broadway stage at any age, let alone 14 with these icons. I mean, put me in your head, put me in your heart. What were you feeling when you like the curtains open and you see 500 people and you're in a Sondheim musical? What was it like? I don't remember my first show. I have no memory of it. And it's very interesting. It's one of these experiences where, because I didn't have a full dress rehearsal. Being an immediate replacement, I had a rehearsal with the orchestra where I was in costume. And I, I think it might have even been with the understudies. So my first show was the first time I saw the lights and heard the music and saw everyone else doing the full production. So in the opening number of A Little Night Music, it's this very dreamy waltz and the lights are low and it just, it feels like this wonderful, warm hug of a Sondheim waltz. Right. Uh, and I just remember stepping out on stage, seeing the stage and going, I, I stopped dead in my tracks and I went, okay, here we go. You have to, you have to take a step. You have to do this. And I did. And the next thing I remember is running up the stairs at the end of Curtain Call. I, I don't remember anything in between. I just, I somehow locked into whatever my frame of mind was. And yeah. there Amazing. it was. So yeah. were you, were you a musical theater kid? Were you one of those interesting, to say the least, children that was obsessed with musical theater? I was from about the time I was 12. So not for very much before I ended Got up it. in musical theater. I was a ballet dancer my whole life. So I grew up doing ballet, but retrospectively, I was always a storyteller because it wasn't, I loved dancing and the art of it and the movement and all of that. But I became obsessed with the stories of every ballet. And I knew all of the characters. I knew all of the storylines. I knew what every song was supposed to be and the story that it was telling and the music that went with it and why. And I never thought anything of it until recently when I went, oh, it makes sense that I studied the stories and the characters and the arcs of all of these things. Right. <laughs> In retrospect, it all fits. So this might, maybe it's a good time to, to start to get into your comfort movie um, because it dovetails nicely with um, musicals. It is arguably the greatest musical of all time. Um, gave me a good excuse to go back and see this. This is one of those that you should revisit every few years. What's your comfort movie pick, Kat? Singing in the Rain is my comfort movie. I mean, that's the definition of a comfort movie. It just makes you feel good. But give me, give me the, the short sell on this and then we can dive deeper. Why did this one come to mind when, we, when I asked you for the comfort movie? I put a lot of thought into this because my, my knee jerk was Princess Bride. And obviously that's been done. Perfectly so acceptable. So I had to think. So my, my Singing in the Rain was the next one that came to mind simply because it's one that I'll always watch whenever it's on. It just draws you into its world. And it's one of those films that they just don't make anymore. It's this sort of grandiose production. And yes, some of it's silly and some of it's ridiculous, but the dancing is so impeccable. The cinematography is amazing. The stories behind it are just phenomenal. But it's, it's that immersive environment of these grandiose films that we just don't see. Yeah. And I think that's what draws me to it is, I mean, I've been lucky enough to be a part of some productions that have been very immersive, be it Shadowhunters or Arrow or Randall Flagg's Pink Palace in the Stand, uh, or even Maze Runner. 
you step onto that set and you can just completely lose yourself in the world and, and tell the story. And I think that's what part of that film really hits home for me. It probably also, I would imagine, takes on a different meaning as you, as you take part in the industry. It's a great industry movie. It's a great making of movie uh, 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 tale. It's a, you know, it's about the transition from silent films to talkies. Um, and it, yes, it, it can stand as one of the top musicals of all time, but also one of the top showbiz movies of all time. Um, also something I didn't realize is that Gene Kelly was one of the directors on it as well. Yes, he co-directed with Stanley Donnan. Yes. Um, so there's, I, that, a lot, yeah. there's a lot to talk about. So, so for context, if you are living under a rock and you haven't seen the classics, shame on you, but this movie came out slightly before Kat and I were born, April 11th, 1952, um, written by uh, the great Betty Comden and Adolph Green. And yes, co-directed by Gene Kelly and Stanley Donnan, two icons in their own right. At the center of this film is Gene Kelly, is Debbie Reynolds, is Donald O'Connor. Uh, Debbie Reynolds, I think, was like 20 years old when she did this. Not a dancer, not a trained dancer. So give me perspective on that, Kat, as a dancer, as somebody that spent a lot of their childhood uh, devoted to this. Give me the dancer's eye on Debbie Reynolds and Gene and Donald. It blows my mind. I mean, you know, to this day, Debbie Reynolds is one of the most iconic dancers and singing musical performers of all time. And so knowing that, it it just really shows work ethic. And that's something that I, I love. You know, when I started Shadowhunters, I didn't know how to hold a sword. I didn't know how to throw a punch. I didn't really know much about shooting a bow and arrow when I started Arrow. So, so I, I understand it. And I understand how much work and effort that takes to look proficient at something that you know nothing about. Right. Um, and so just the, the utmost respect for all of them in pulling this off and making it such an iconic piece. Yeah, watching some of the sequences again the other day, um, the make him laugh uh, sequence from Donald O'Connor. I mean, it's like, I'm like, this guy's like Jean-Claude Van Damme. He's like jumping off walls. Like I, I, I couldn't, I literally like had to replay it. I was like, how are you doing this? Well, and because of when it was made and the technology of that time, he's actually doing it. Of course, absolutely. Yeah, there's no, there's no trickery. Yeah. Wires and CGI and no, there's none of that. It's, they're actually pulling all of this off, most of it practically. Exactly. Um, is, is there the sound tricks? <laughs> right, 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 right. So, is there? Yeah. Speaking of of, of sound, um, how's your how's your diction? Have you ever had voice lessons? How, do you like the sound of your own voice? Ooh, the sound of my own voice. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I like that the inherent human instinct. Right. If you, you love your sound of your own voice, maybe that's a bad sign. You shouldn't. It might be. It might be. But um, I have had voice lessons. I've, I mean, with musical theater, I've been singing yeah. for for quite a while. Um, Interestingly, when I first learned to talk, I had a Southern accent because of where I was born. And I lost it somewhere along the way by no purposeful effort. It just sort of happened. Um, so I, I don't know. I love playing with voice and tonal quality. And I've done that with a few characters. But yeah, do you have a good, would, do you have a good ear for, for accents? Is there one that you'd like to, to try out on film? Oh, any of them. <laughs> I, I've, I've had to do a fair few for auditions, but I rarely had a chance to do them in the full production. Um, right. I had one audition where I was auditioning for two roles in the same film and one was uh, Russian and one was Scottish. <laughs> and I had to do them back to back. And so transitioning between those two was, was quite stark. Amazing. But I figured Amazing. it out. Um, so yes, yeah, so, so many standout sequences in this film. Of course, the iconic singing in the rain sequence is maybe the most 
yes, I mean, you can't be a movie fan and not love that scene, which is just like a celebration of love and, and joy. And is just like, if you're not smiling while watching Gene Kelly dance through the streets and not care, not give a shit that it's raining on him, then you have no heart or soul, I think. It's true. <laughs> I would think. Or maybe, maybe watching that can, can inspire some kind of heart and soul in yeah. the most heartless of people. There you go. Yeah, it's like the uh, yeah, Christmas Carol. By the end, you, you feel your heart or the Grinch. <laughs> um, is that, so which, which, um, which sequence stands out to you? Which is the one that uh, is your favorite, if you have one? I always, I, I mean, Singing in the Rain is, the, the title sequence is probably the one that I always think of the most. Right. Because I love tap. I think it's such, it's an art that we don't see as much anymore. And it was one of my favorite styles of dance growing up, aside from ballet. And uh, just, it, I know how difficult that is as well. And also the, you know, the age old story that he had a 102 degree fever and still did the entire production number in the rain, exuding the utmost joy is just the epitome of. Right. Sucking it up and just doing it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Putting on a good show no matter what. I, but also I, I feel as though I, I'm a morning person, so Good Morning is always that one song I just, I love, I relate to that so much. Well, it's also just like a sweet, sweet sequence and it's like they've spent the whole night talking and it's sort of like, it, it's just, you know, we all have had those nights with, with friends and, and loved ones and it's like suddenly it's, it's morning and it's a celebration of that, it's, it's very sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, Debbie Reynolds has been quoted as saying that singing in the rain and childbirth were the two hardest things she ever had to do in her life. A testament to what you were talking about of just, how hard this must have been for her, who's not a trained dancer, let alone um, performing the most iconic scenes in, in dance film history. <laughs> so kudos to Debbie. Indeed. Um, so have you, have you really had the opportunity to sing or dance on film? Have you, have those worlds melded yet? Tangentially. So yeah. what actually brought me to Los Angeles was a pilot for Disney Channel that was the first time they attempted High School Musical the series which was probably 10 years ago now. Right. So the, I was playing the, uh, the Ashley Tisdale equivalent, the, the mean girl. Um, and that was so much fun. I jump, jumping into, you know, a, a Disney Channel musical pilot full of dance numbers and, you know, of the utmost glitter and grandeur and fun was just, it was amazing. It was all yeah. I wanted at that age. Um, I had one dance number where I was wearing a, you know, a gentleman prefer blondes, red sequin dress, dancing downstairs in heels and in this giant production number. Um, and I'd never worn heels before. So that was, that was learning, learning heels was downstairs in dancing, singing. That's always yeah. those, that crazy, those crazy stories for young actors, especially who like have their first kiss in life on screen in some cases. Yeah. It's just, it's just, it's a fascinating, bizarre, uh, world you plunged yourself into. I'm glad that you you're, you seem semi-sane, uh, at least on camera. Very much so. Well, thank you. My um, <laughs> None of my family is in the industry, so I'm lucky to have a very grounded right. support system, and, and the majority of my friends as well, I think, would uh, look at me very oddly and give me a stern talking to if I ever was anything but a real human being. So, so back to musicals for a second, just curious, your taste in modern musicals. Are you a uh, La La Land fan, going back a little bit, Moulin Rouge, what are the big ones for you? All of the above, some, some in particular, or what? Moulin Rouge is amazing and always will be. Um, that's one of the most epic 
movie musicals ever, I think. I have the poster literally right behind this camera. If you could see, <sighs> if I could turn it around. Amazing. Yeah. Um, does Hamilton count? Sure. I'm, I'm a fan of all things Lin-Manuel Miranda. Um, I met him ages ago when I was in New York. I was doing a reading for a version of Peter Pan that was circling around all of the other versions that came out in, you know, 2010, 2011 on Broadway. And it was with Alex Lacamoire and a lot of his other writing partners. And so he ended up coming and, and said some really lovely things to me that, you know, he's, he's been a really amazing inspiration and influence for a lot of years. So seeing him become so, because in the New York circles, everybody knows who Lynn is and has forever. But now that he's on such a grand stage and getting to have, you know, the whole world see his genius, I'm a big fan. He has evaded this podcast. He's like one of the few of in that, like, I'm privileged to say that this podcast has hit most of my, my faves. Put a good word in. Would you, would you, Kat? Absolutely. This needs to be, <laughs> this needs to be fixed. So who, so who helped shape um, your love of film, pop culture as a kid? Who were, who was the biggest? Was it a, did you, do you have siblings? Was it your mom? I don't have siblings. Uh, it was sort of twofold, I guess. My grandfather loves movies and always has. And so I remember every year we would go uh, to a cabin in Colorado for vacation and my grandfather would be up before anyone else and he'd always be watching an old black and white movie. And so I would get up and go snuggle up on the couch and just watch whatever he was watching. And some days it was Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Some days it was Creature from the Black Lagoon. Some days it was Gilda. Some days it was Holiday Inn. So, and so I grew up watching all of, you know, um, it happened one night, like all right. of these films that really shaped how I saw cinema. And then conversely, my mother loves horror movies. So I grew up with her watching Rocky Horror Picture Show and Carrie and all of these, you know, films that are entirely of a different genre. But it, it sort of shaped this kind of odd duality that I have with a love of the happy, joyful, grandiose, <laughs> glamorous, and terrifying. She must be rooting for you to be a scream queen. I mean, you could, that could be a career. Like you could go down that path very easily. It could be. She does love it when I end up in these projects. When I told her I was doing the stand, she about fell out of her chair. Right. So, yeah. it, so, so let's jump to the stand for a second, because this is an exciting project for some obvious reasons. It's not just Stephen King. It's like the Stephen King. It's like Dark Tower, The Stand. Those are like the two iconic like magnum opuses of his career. Uh, I take it you were a Stephen King fan because it sounds like, again, what I appreciate about you is like you love kind of all of it, <laughs> like in different ways. Um, but on a personal level, it's probably also very rewarding because this is not, this is a big departure for you. Did it, does it feel like this is new territory? And, and is that the exciting aspect of, of being a part of The Stand? In a lot of ways, The Stand was a dream come true and a bit terrifying in, in many ways, um, just simply because I have been a huge fan of Stephen King my whole life. You know, I grew up not only reading the books, but watching the movies and, and just knowing what an icon he is in, in that sense. You know, the fact that all of these stories can come from one person's brain still astounds me. I don't fully understand it, but yeah. I respect it. <laughs> um, and then on top of that, I, I've been friends with Josh Boone for years, who is sort of the impetus of this. So knowing that this was sort of his magnum opus in a way, and something that he's been working toward for nearly a decade, 
it's exciting to see something that your friend has worked so hard on come to fruition and yeah. to get to, you know, help shape that in a small way is amazing. Um, but yes, it is a huge departure, even character wise for me, you know, being on set, I've been used to playing in leather combat boots, playing a hero, doing what's right, being a beacon for hope, as it were, in whatever story I'm telling. And then cut to now I'm playing Julie Laurie, who is one of the most vile and horrible and ridiculous human beings I've ever seen. Um, so now the character choices go to, I feel like a gross, disgusting human being every time I'm making a choice on set. But that, you know, we have to tell stories about bad people right. to highlight their absurdity, I guess, in a way. But it's uh, it was definitely a departure. Every day can't be cat being a beacon of hope that gets even that gets probably a little tiresome at a certain point i'm in this to be a chameleon that's my oh. favorite part about my job is getting to in disappear into right all, yeah be the, the, the russian and the uh scottish woman exactly not, you could have played both in the same film why didn't they just I let would you do both? it in a heartbeat <laughs> but you know to play to be a million different people live a million different lives and and to see how far i can push myself in any direction is there a kind of character that you're kind of done with? I mean, like, is it like, okay, I've retired the teenagers at this point, I've retired this type of thing, or is everything still on the table? I try not to rule anything out because I find that a lot of times things can surprise you in a really lovely way. Um, I, I, as long as it's a good story yeah. and it's an interesting character and it, it says something, and that's, that's what I'm more about. I'm at my core, whether I'm in front of or behind the camera, I'm a storyteller. Yeah. And that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. And however that is, whatever that means, you know, if it's a good story, I'll, I'll definitely entertain it. So let, let's get into Shadowhunters because I would re be remiss if we didn't go there. And I'm fascinated about it for a number of reasons. I mean, I've definitely covered a lot of uh, YA properties that have obsessive followings and there's nothing like a YA audience. Um, did you know going in, you must have known, you obviously knew it was the lead, you knew this was a bestseller, you knew there had been a movie, you knew there was a lot there, but did it still, having intellectualized all of that, was it still surprising when you started to kind of see the fans, interact with the fans and see the fan base? Absolutely. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm still me. For me, it's, it's, I'm just me telling a story, but I grew up reading YA and I grew up seeing these properties and knowing what it means to have a character that you love so much be portrayed on screen and how important these characters are to people and how much they mean to their lives and their journeys. And the fact that I was at the helm of something of that nature, I understood the responsibility and I took it very seriously, but it became something so much larger than any of us or any of our characters. And that's why, I mean, Shadowhunters will always be so special to me because I, I was 19 when I started that show. So that cast and crew really shaped me as a, as a human being as well as an artist. But uh, I'll never forget our first New York Comic-Con. We had just finished filming the first season and we had been sort of sequestered in our little Toronto. Nobody had really seen or heard anything. And they were airing the first seven minutes of the show for the audience for the first time ever. And we, we had hadn't seen it either. So our, we had been told our, our room was standing room only, our hall. And they played the seven minutes and just hearing the audience's reactions and seeing it for the first time, albeit backwards from behind the screen, 
and then getting to meet the people who are already dressed as us and who were so excited to see this come to life and having had that continue for several years. I mean, this community has become such a lovely, as we were saying before, positive force in this yeah. world. I'm, I'm just so grateful to be a part of it. It's so funny to hear you describe that because it really resonates. I've heard those stories like a half dozen times over the years and they always happen at the comic cons because you guys have been bunkered down, you're doing it. And then all of a sudden it's like they release you into this, like they can tell you everything they want. They can media train you and say this and that, but until you see that throng of like 6,000 people, a thousand of which are dressed as you, mm -hmm. it's, it's just, it's mind blowing. I'm sure I can only imagine. It so, is. What, so what were the things you were obsessed with as a kid? What was the, like, were you, were you to Twilight or, or Harry Potter or all of the above? What were you into? I was a bit of a few different things. I, well, I was obsessed with Sherlock Holmes, first of all. That was sort of my first, Love it. if you can equate that at all. Yeah. Um, but I also, I mean, I loved Star Wars as a kid. I, I loved the Divergent series. I loved the Percy Jackson series because I was a huge mythology person. Um, I loved Harry Potter. I, I can't get enough of all of that either, but you know, a fair few. I read, I read them all really. <laughs> so were you up for, obviously you wouldn't have been up for Harry Potter, but did you, were you old enough to be up for Divergent or any of those other things was, I'm sure you were. I was up for, for Divergent yeah. and that was one of the most exciting auditions I had. Um, simply because I loved that character so much. And even, you know, even though it didn't go my way and obviously Shailene's wonderful, but I was, it's, it's one of those magical moments where you go, oh, this, these, I get to live this story that I've loved so much, even if it's for 10 minutes. Yeah. Are you, so are you, what's your attitude about auditions? I know like I've talked to some actors that are like, they relish it because it's like, oh, I'm getting, I'm going to act because it's hard to find a gig sometimes. And this is an opportunity to show what I can do. That being said, it's soul crushing in many <laughs> respects. Where do you fall? Is it both, both categories or what? Yes, there will always be those jobs that when they don't go your way, it's difficult because there are certain ones that you just attach to or fall in love with for one reason or another. But for the most part, I love auditions. I, I really do. It's because they're so playful and they keep me on my feet and, and on edge and constantly having to think and play and reassess and not be too attached to anything. Um, I had a, a mentor of mine very early on present it in a very unique perspective. They sat me down and they said, look, an actor's job is to audition. You go in that room for those 10 minutes, that's your job. And anything extraneous, if you get the job, that's extra. Right. And so I always looked at it that way. I feel like you're the kind of actor that has like the, the, the crate of props and wigs. <laughs> and like, do you go all out for auditions? Have, do you have like- How did you know? <laughs> as, as I said, we're social media buddies. You have a sense of who I am. I think I have a good sense of who you are. Talk to me about like, do you go to extremes for auditions? I have, I have. Actually, it was funny. I had a self tape the other day. I'm losing my mind a bit having not, you know, been able to do my job for so long in a traditional sense. Uh, I had a, an audition where for one scene, my character had gotten beaten up and her face was bloodied and things like this. Earlier in the year, I shot a horror movie in my house with some friends. We right. did it all via Zoom, and I had to learn how to do all of that. I had some makeup left over. So for a scene of the self-tape, I cut and bruised and bloodied my face, and <laughs> off we went. Any roommates walk in and say, uh, Kat, what's going on? No, but I have had that happen before. <laughs> Where um, my, my buddy who stays with me sometimes, he knows that I've got a whole 
trunk full of things. And it's, you know, I've one, one, uh, quarantine tradition. I have a mafia group that we get together and play mafia a couple, uh, usually once a week in person, we've been doing it via zoom and have been having costume theme nights. And, um, it's been grand fun to just go all out and find whatever I can. Has it been tough? I mean, it's been tough for all of us, obviously. And we're, we're on the spectrum. We're very lucky. We're working to a degree and we're keeping busy and we're healthy, but again, you're like, you know, you're in the prime of your career. There's a lot of opportunities there for you. And also I get the sense that you're type A, like you want to work, you <laughs> want to be out there. Yeah. So what's been the adjustment like for you and how have you found, have you found a happy normal in the last crazy year? It's been a large adjustment. You know, I'm a person that even when I'm not working, I'm traveling and visiting friends and seeing people that I love or just having adventures. Um, so I used to be on an airplane about every 10 days and that came to a screeching halt about a year ago. So it's, it's been very interesting. I've, if there's anything I've learned, it's how grateful to be for those moments that, that mean so much and the things that really matter to me, which are spending time with the people that I love mm. and experiencing life and getting to tell stories and do my job. But, you know, we, I'm, I'm a stubborn optimist. We all find ways to, to figure it out. And whether it's a friend calling and saying, hey, I have a, a movie that we can shoot entirely via Zoom. Do you want to do it? Sure, learning how to light and DIT and do sound and, yeah. and do all of those things in my house. Because it, it was a terrifying, wonderful experiment that actually turned out. And then also, you know, find exploring Los Angeles and finding new ways to connect and new ways to work on myself. And, and I've reorganized my house about three times, I think, <laughs> just trying to be creative in some way. Um, but also I've been developing, which has been fun to, to sort of step behind the camera and go, okay, what else can I do creatively in the meantime yeah. that I can then launch when things are more normal again? So have you been, have you traveled at all? I haven't been on a plane in over a year. I haven't been in a movie theater in over a year. It's, it's boggles my mind too. Um, I haven't been to a movie theater. Um, I did escape to London for some work in September. Got it. I, uh, actually for a, a musical project, but I can't. Okay. But um, I got to record at Abbey Road Studios for a day, which was just <laughs> I have no words. It, it truly, truly, I know this is another a bucket list, a bucket list item you didn't know you had a bucket list item for, probably. It truly, and yeah. and it it blew my mind and was one of the most. It was definitely worth the two weeks of quarantine in London that I had nice. to do in order to do that. Um, but then I got to go, you know, a good deal of my best friends are in London. So I got to see people there and wander around. And I did a parks tour of London, having coffee with people um, every other day, just seeing friends. So we haven't mentioned uh, the other huge part of the, the fandom is, of course, the Arrowverse. And um, give me some perspective on your journey with that character. Um, we don't know... If we're going to see you as that character again. I guess the spinoff isn't happening for now, which must be bittersweet. I mean, I guess give me a perspective on that too, because I can understand, like, I'm sure you wanted to do it. And at the same time, it's like, you want to do other, as you said, you're an actor, you want to try different things. So I'm sure you're of, or you have two minds about sort of that aspect. Yes and no. I mean, I've been very lucky to have been able to do other things, even while doing these shows that are time consuming. And I think that's because sleep is very low on my priority list for the most part. Um, but, 
you know, having to do, being able to do Maze Runner between and being able to fit in little projects in the interim, I wasn't too worried if the spinoff had gotten picked up. And aside from that, Mia was such a wonderful character that they took such care of and had set her up to have this very strange and complicated journey that I was excited to see where she went. And who knows, maybe we will see Mia somewhere. Because in the Arrowverse, unless they, you know, they see you dead on a slab somewhere, you're probably coming back at some and point. even then, you don't, let's not, yeah. And even then. But I, I was so grateful for Arrow. You know, I was just finishing Shadowhunters. And as I'm sure you well know, when you come off of a project that's encompassed your life for so many years, there's almost a mourning period that happens. And being able to throw myself into another all-encompassing project was so helpful. Yeah. That being said, I was very nervous, given that, you know, having been in those circles, knowing how beloved Elicity was and having to be their child and sort of these two characters that have been so well-developed for so many years by Stephen and Emily, um, trying to figure out how to be that amalgamation, it was an exciting challenge. And that's, that's what I love. My, that's what I always look for is something that scares me and that I know is gonna challenge me and force me to grow because that's, that's what I'm here for and that's what I'm all about. So, so let's secret into the universe future Cat McNamara prospects. We know Lin-Manuel Miranda, already a buddy, I'm jealous, <laughs> is on the list for a professional collaboration. Are there other, do you have that short list, the actors, or maybe it's a long list of actors, filmmakers that you're like, get me a meeting. I just want to meet them. I just want them to be their best friend. I just want <laughs> something, please. It's a long list. It's very <laughs> long list. Yeah. But I, I will say that, you know, there's, there's a great deal of storytellers out there that throw themselves in with reckless abandon. And those are the people that I aspire to and the people that I aspire to work with. Uh, the stories that I aspire to tell. Um, I had a very interesting encounter with David O. Russell years ago. Where, oh my gosh. Well, there's no, there's, uh, not, there's no interaction with him that's not interesting, to be fair. I love his films and always have. And uh, I went to a screening and happened to just, you know, he was saying hello to people afterward. And I just went up and shook his hand. And he, I had red hair at the time. Turns to me and goes, Isla Fisher's here. And then, <laughs> and just as a, something very kind to say, which I was astounded at, and you know, but I was so floored by the fact that he'd said anything to me other than hello, I completely forgot to actually introduce myself. And then a year later, I was at um, a screening for American Hustle and we had the same interaction. And so I made sure to actually <laughs> tell him the name at that point. Um, but the only downside to that is if he casts Isla Fisher in a movie one day and you're like, wait, that was my role. I was like, wait, I, but I, I don't know. I'm, <laughs> more power to Isla Fisher, but uh, I, I think she's wonderful. But all, you know, all things considered, I'm very excited to see what the future is. And I, I hope to continue working. I, I mean, I have a lot of projects that have been on hold for yeah. over a year now. And I'm just waiting. There's so many roles that I was so excited to dive into and just on the precipice of doing mm. um, that really would be quite different than folks have seen, um, which is exciting. But. What, have you been, what have you been watching lately? What's on, what's on the, uh, in the queue, in the Netflix queue? What have you been obs obsessed with? What did I just finish watching? Now I'm blanking on it. Uh, I went back and I watched, I finally finished Breaking Bad, which it had been years since I'd, I'd committed to that series. So I finished okay. that. I still, I have to get, get back to The Wire. I'm like halfway through The Wire and I'm like, one of these days, I just gotta mm -hmm. do it. 
one of the greatest pieces of, of cinema. Um, I watched, now I have to go into my Netflix queue because <laughs> I have completely forgotten what I've watched. Um, oh, I've been watching American Gods as well, simply because oh. that's, Ricky Whittle's a dear friend of mine as Got well. It. So I had to throw some support and I love Neil Gaiman. Um, Good Omens was another one that I just recently went back and watched. He was on the podcast like a few years ago and talk about being like intimidated by a guest. Like again, that Stephen King kind of mind where it's like, I don't even know how to interact. Just talk. Brilliant. Just man. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant in, in his satire and in everything else. Um, now I'm looking at yeah. this. It's been a lot of great British bake off. Well, how's the baking <laughs> going by the way, Kat? Oh, quite well. What, any new quite recipe? Well. What, are, what are the standards? What's like, what's the top mm, list? What's the um, go-to? Oatmeal butterscotch cookies are kind of my standard. Jesus. Um, Death by chocolate cake, which is my great grandmother's recipe, which is, it's basically a dense chocolate cake with chocolate fudge icing. I'm moving to LA tomorrow. I'm getting on that plane. Please do. (laughs) Um, I also have figured out recently how to do whiskey cinnamon cookies. You can do it all. It's a, (laughs) fuck the acting, Kat. You can do, this is the important stuff. No, no, no. I keep my closet clean to save my life. So there's that. Okay, okay. <laughs> there's, a, there's a fair few things that are, are in my Rolodex of, of things to do and watch. Now I understand why you have this ginormous friend group. Sure, you're charming, but it's the, it's the death by chocolate that really keeps them coming back. I do have friends that will give me uh, trouble by, if I haven't brought them baked goods in, in a couple of weeks. They go, where are my cookies? I go, well, okay, I will bring you some if you would like some. These are, but, not the, uh, these are not the friends worth having. Cut, the, <laughs> cut those guys loose. No, I love it. I love it. <laughs> I, uh, I, when things were really locked down here, I did this sort of reverse trick-or-treating thing where I baked a bunch and put, got in my car and drove around Los Angeles and just dropped things off at the end of driveways and waved. You're so a magical fairy. Out. How does she do this? It's amazing. <laughs> um, I'm glad we finally made this happen. Everybody should check out The Stand and Singing in the Rain. It's a great double feature. It goes together. <laughs> I don't know, not really. But do the stand when you want some dystopian Stephen King madness and to see a different side of Cat McNamara. And, uh, and then uh, watch Singing in the Rain to cheer yourself up because there's nothing like seeing Gene Kelly do his thing in the rain. Man, I mean, if, you, if you're talking about contrasting, you want to get a good balance. Life's all about balance, right? You have That's to right. go, go for the, the dark and the light, the please don't be a Julie. And I think everyone should be a little bit more like Gene Kelly. There you go. There you go. We've summed (laughs) up the existence of Cat McNamara between these two projects. Um, Great to finally connect. And I look forward to catching up in person. If for no no other reason, I'll collect my death by chocolate. And that's really- Let me know when you're in LA and I will have it delivered to you in person. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. <laughs>